Welcome, and thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 1 of Rebound, a podcast all about examining children's books through the lens of adulthood. Sid had to remind me that if I named the podcast Rebound, it might have different connotations. <laughs> so, called a Rebound because it's um, rebinding books that we used to know about as kids. Not because it's about re- rebound relationships. <laughs> just saying, you say that and it's my first thought. But I it's understand. It's, it's I thought I'd put that disclaimer in. Um, so, I would love to start out just by like introducing everyone. I'm Hallie Teague. I am a senior here at Barry, which is the craziest thing ever to say. Um, I'm a filmmaking major and a creative tech minor, and I freaking love children's books. I think they're the coolest things ever. Um, yeah, so that's me. I'm Carly. I'm also a senior filmmaking major. Um, I'm super into art styles of books and kind of everything, mostly film, but um, it still relates to books, and I like color theory, like the way lighting and shots impact your perspective of something and how it tells the story without actually telling a story, um, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Awesome. Hey guys, my name is Noah Miller. I am a senior political science major with double minors in Spanish and teaching English as a foreign language. Um, My love for children's books is specifically fantasy chapter books. I am the biggest Rick Riordan stan. I love every single last one of those books. I read everything. Um, I just love the creativity. I love the cultural connections and I think people need to read more and should have more fun reading. We don't have to read nonfiction all the time. And I guess I'm the last one. I'm Sydney Munoz. I am the third senior filmmaking major in the room, which is so exciting. (laughs) But I am kind of obsessed with representation in any kind of book, movie, TV show. Um, Even just wrote my entire honors thesis on the representation of Uh, queer woman of color in media and how you know we all classify things as progressive nowadays but like they keep falling back into the same old tropes that we've seen time and time again and just by you know saying that you're colorblind casting something or going at it like that it doesn't actually create representation exactly Mm -hmm. um which is fun and then I also just love looking at women in media and how we're represented and um you know, kind of just looking at how they interact with the characters around them and what voice they're given. Yeah, it's super interesting. And I think that for a lot of us, like, those that stuff started as kids. Like, some of my first introduction to, like, quasi-feminist literature <laughs> was reading one of the books we're going to examine today. So I would love to go ahead and move into a discussion of our first book that Sid chose. It's called A Bad Case of the Stripes. It's by David Shannon. I think it was released in 1999. Um, Sid, would you like to give us a little synopsis of Bad Case of the Stripes? Um, okay, so A Bad Case of the Stripes follows this young little girl. Um, her name is Camilla Cream, if I remember correctly, which is a very interesting name to begin with. <laughs> um, especially because her mom was, like, continuously, like, just referenced to as Mrs. Cream. It's a whole choice that it's the author made, <laughs> to be honest. So funny. Um, but basically, Camilla is getting ready for her first day of school, and she can't find anything to wear, and she's so afraid of being made fun of by the other kids because she likes lima beans. Which, honestly, kind of disgusting. Lima beans are gross. I, I, know, I, I love, love lima, lima beans. beans. No. <laughs> like a whole bowl of just yeah. lima beans. That, and you know what? 
maybe I needed to read this book as a child and it would have made me like Molly. Then you wouldn't be afraid it's of like lying with America. Go Molly thing again, you know, like her because for glasses. <laughs> I was kind of a mean kid. I'm realizing it's like it only. That sounds like a bully. You sound like a bully. <laughs> We're going to okay, change listen. your mind today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, Sid. No, I continue. Um, but basically, Camilla wakes up one morning and she's covered in stripes and she's so embarrassed that she doesn't want to go to school and so her mom takes her to the doctor and the doctor's like, there's nothing really wrong with her. Like, she's really fine. Um, she just looks a little bit different. She can go to school and so she goes to school and as people keep saying things and things happen around her, her skin, like her appearance keeps changing to what everybody else is saying around her. And so like the first time it changes to stars and stripes for the Pledge of Allegiance. It's a very patriotic frame, I will say. (laughs) I mean, it ends up changing again because then you have like the purple polka dots. And as more and more doctors keep coming in and talking to her and trying to figure out what's wrong with her, the more she keeps changing. And it's very much everybody else's words have the power to change her at that point. And so finally at the end, this little old woman who's so precious comes in and she has a bucket of lima beans with her. (laughs) And she's like, this will fix you right up and gives her some lima beans and Camilla's back to being normal. Um, And that's just a brief synopsis of what happened. There's the pictures are so beautiful. I wish like you could actually get to see the pictures in a podcast, but as it's just voices, it's a very, like very colorful style of illustration that I'm not gonna like kind of creep me out a little bit because everyone's mouths are like really big so there's like a kid making fun of her and he says like gaping mouth that would have terrified me as and a I, kid. I think it's supposed to be like that though because it's supposed to like emphasize how their words are so impactful to her like what they're saying is literally changing everyone's perception of her her perception of herself mm-hmm. and it's just a really sweet story about like figuring out who you are as a child in a world where people say whatever they want and it affects you and you just don't know how to deal with that as a kid but Mm -hmm. yeah and it's really interesting because all of the adults are like having such a negative impact on her like um there's that one scene where all the reporters are outside her house like reporting on like the amazing color changing kid and I just think it's so interesting to like see these adults who are normally portrayed as, you know, professionals, but it's like they're portrayed in such a negative way because, you know, the reporter is holding her microphone, but she's, like, screaming at the kid, like, oh, look at this kid, look at this kid. And it's just, like, such an... I don't know. What did you think about this as a kid, Sid? I loved it. I, like, it, it, it freaked me out the first time I read it, I think, but going, like, reading it a second time and keeping reading it, I was, like, as a child who is definitely different, who has moved around, who has not had the same experience as everybody else, I think there's something so refreshing about seeing somebody learn to love the thing that makes them difference, even if it is just liking lima beans. Like, it's so insane. Um, And just being like, yeah, no, I'm comfortable with myself and I'm not going to let anybody else have this giant impact and, like, life-changing impact on my life just because I am who I am and that has to be okay. Um, And now looking back and reading it again, I feel like there's so many underlying things that we're just, like, not talking about. The first thing going to kind of, you know, looking at the lens of Camilla is a young girl. All of the doctors that are poking and prodding her are men. Like, they're, they're all... they're creepy looking men. I'm not going to lie to you guys. <laughs> they're man bald. so scary. I'm like, and they're just like creepily like poking at her and like tickling her and like just doing really weird things to her. And it's like, she's just like, okay, cool. And her parents are like, yeah, no, fix her. And I'm like, that's... Can we talk, like, can we talk about the whole, let's fix somebody because they're different thing? I don't know if anybody else has No, I definitely feel, I definitely 
when I reread it, it stuck out to me because like I felt like a personal connection to her because being like being a black girl specifically in predominantly white spaces like my hair was very different than everybody else's they're like in my kindergarten first and third grade class i was like the only girl the only black girl in any of my classes because i was like aig and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so all of my friends were white and they had the long ponytails and their hair was straight and then i had puff puffs which (laughs) my mom literally would take my afro and like split it in half and put it into puffs so i looked like mickey mouse and they would call me mickey mouse and it like it really like stuck out so i started perming my hair and i looked terrible and when my hair was straight like i hated it i did not like how i looked but i felt that that was the only way that i could fit in and i definitely do think that it's interesting that it was men who were really saying that like this is a problem and this is how we can fix it because when you think of society today people in power are men they're the ones who have the ultimate decisions on women's reproductive health on our laws the way that we are supposed to live our lives i mean we've never had a female president mm-hmm. um we really haven't had like very strong female political figures in any sense of that besides like hillary clinton and even then that's contestable um but as women like how we are perceived is really based on society which is run by men so the way that men view us the way that we view ourselves is really kind of wrapped up in the idea of like um desirability and whether or not we're beautiful or we're pretty or people will like us for sure i i feel like there's a lot of pages that use the colors and like the sharp edges and even just like the silly way that some of the characters are drawn to help us empathize with Camilla and like see the ridiculousness in this whole situation like it's all based on how she looks and nobody is ignoring that because everyone places so much value on appearances and um it's just kind of disheartening when you think about it like that because we're so they're so just dead set on we have to fix the way you look because you're too different and you can't stick out like this and like a lot of the shots are really close up on her like we feel so much empathy for her like as if we were her because we're just so close in this space with her and it's I mean it's just so emotional yeah (laughs) like a really interesting point to note is that all these scenes are chaotic chaotic you know doctors and reporters and people yelling and the teacher yelling and the kids with the big mouth yeah. <laughs> um, sorry we have to bleep that one for the kids um but the scene where this little old lady brings her little kind of creepy bucket of lima beans How is just calm there's this blue sky behind her is this little old lady which like a lot of times like old women in media have kind of been vilified a lot like you see things with like the older you get the more like you try and become young like with Maleficent and stuff like that but she's just this sweet little old lady and um it's just like all of a sudden things just become calm you can just identify with this little old woman and her cute little face and it's like she solves all the problems so it's just an interesting book and it was a good choice Sid (laughs) um because I think it just really like unraveled a lot of things that kids don't really understand but it's still like subliminal messaging that does like affect how you view the world and stuff like that um, so I think it's really awesome to have like that kind of representation in a book that obviously meant a lot to you as a kid growing up. Um, I would love to talk about our second book, Blueberries for Sal, because this book means a lot to me and it has kind of some of the same themes, but I think it's important because um, it was released so much earlier than A Bad Case of the Stripes. 
So this book was released in like the 40s. We have, you know, the reckoning going on with World War II. That's kind of the like era that it was released in. And so it's just such a sweet like break from what I'm sure was the chaos of the times. Um, And so I would love to give a little synopsis of it. So basically, Sal and her mother, who is only called Mother with a capital M, which is kind of interesting, um, they go blueberry picking on Blueberry Hill. It's a very basic book. (laughs) And they happen upon a bear. Sal gets separated from her mother, and she starts following around the mama bear. And then the bear's cub starts following around the mom. Um, So then the mom and Sal reunite, and then the mother bear and um, the bear cub reunite after a series of mishaps. Um, they go their separate ways. And it's, like, one of the earliest books that I remember reading because it's so simple and it's so basic, but the illustrations are absolutely beautiful. They're done in this, like, pen and ink kind of format, um, very, like, fine line, all blues and things like that. Um, and I was rereading it, and I was like, I think that Sal's mom's a single mom. And I think that, like, in the 40s? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's also important to note that, you know, it's taking place, like around World War II or, like, right after. So there could also be the context of, you know, what it is to be a part of a family that was greatly affected by that and, you know, not having a father figure in your life. And that's a very important thing. And, you know, having Sal and her mother be so close. And, again, it's also very interesting that mother actually doesn't ever get a name. It's just mother. But I think that's because we're in the framework and the point of view of Sal, who doesn't know her mom is anything. Sounds like yeah, two years old. She doesn't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but it is important to know you have the mama bear and then her cub, who is the only him or, like, references, like, him in the book. Um, but, again, it's a, it's a bear. Like, it's not as big as, like, you know, Sal and her mother and, um, and then the mama bear. But... It's just, again, interesting, like, their relationship and their interactions and the fact that, like, even when they're on Blueberry Hill, you can tell Sal's mom is very independent, too, or whatever, because she's like, this is my bucket. Like, I want to take my bucket home. I want to have my blueberries. And Sal is like, okay, I'm going to dip. And the mom's (laughs) like, okay, bye. Like, it's nice seeing you. It's also, like, such an interesting story of, like, watch out for your kid. Like, this is why we have to have kid leashes, because the kid just, like, wanders (laughs) off. Also, Sal's mom is not very concerned until she sees an actual bear. Then she's like, I should probably find my kid now. Yeah, yeah. It's not even a panic. It's just like, I guess I should find my she's kid. like, where Sal went off to? <laughs> oh, that little thing. She's like with an actual grizzly bear in the wilderness. So maybe it's more a cautionary tale for mothers about keeping an eye on your children. I don't know. I think um, it really emphasizes motherhood, though, because like there's not a father bear. It's a, it's a mother bear. Mm-hmm. And... Just that connection between, like, mother and child. and I kind of enjoy the juxtaposition between the mother bear and Sal's mom because I think it's that idea of, like, what motherhood should be and the fact that they are both, like, direct contradictions to that. Like, Sal's mom really isn't that motherly. She's not a helicopter parent. She's not really, like, on Sal to pay attention to her and really, like, be with her in that space, which are attributions that we think mothers should have like you have to be really caring but I think during that time specifically like there really was just so much going on and so much trauma that those kids were basically kind of raising themselves Mm -hmm. you know like mothers were working during that period of time a lot of fathers were off at the war or they had like jobs that kept them out of the house a majority of the time so like the idea of a mom being a housewife was not something that was really common 
Yeah, which is like, I had never really, I mean, I was like eight the last time I read that book, so I'm not expecting myself to have noticed that. But like, I had never noticed that like, I mean, she's raising Sal by herself and it's a very simplistic story, but it still contains so many interesting elements that like, I think that I like internalized as a kid because I remember reading that and feeling closer to my mom because I was like, well, she's always been there for me or like I could imagine doing things with her or even to any mother figure or um, like a figure who's like guided you throughout your life. It just has that like messaging that, you know, care and comfort don't always mean like constant presence, don't always mean like Mm -hmm. watchfulness at all times, but it's just like at the end of the day, love. Because even when she finds Sal, like there's no anger, um, like there's no yelling, there's no like, why did you run away from me? It's like, okay, like let's go home and can blueberries. And like, I just think that's so sweet. Um, It's just like a such a nice little vignette of American life in a non-traditional way. I was going to say like, it just emphasizes the beauty and simplicity because like as a child you see the world as black and white or in this case like mm-hmm. dark blue and white <laughs> yeah and just how like simple you think the world is you think that the world is as big as your backyard until you go up on blueberry hill and encounter a bear <laughs> i mean i guess that just changes sal's life from there but also she seems pretty unbothered like it's a very triumphant story if you think about it she survived an encounter, an encounter with a bear, with a ba- a wild as a bear. baby, like a baby baby. It's actually Bear Grylls' origin story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Not to make it like meta, but like thinking about it now and reading it now. I mean, we're all living blueberries for sale currently. We're all going off onto Blueberry Hill or Berry College, if you will. And, you know, we're just, we're walking around. (laughs) We don't really know what's going on. And occasionally we run into a bear. I mean, we all have our own bears, but I mean, we all have people we can call, or I know I call my mother far too often for it to be okay. (laughs) And I'm just like, hey, here's this like really like odd thing that's going on in my life. And she's like, okay, let's talk about it. Like, I'm always here for you. And I think it's a nice translation looking back and being like, oh, this still applies. Like, this is still so relevant. It's just taking a different form and it's taking a different shape. Mm-hmm. I think that these kinds of discussions are, like, interesting because we're not necessarily parents. Um, and I think it's interesting. We're the kids that grew up from reading these books, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, like, parents choose books for their kids but don't ever get to see, like, the impact of that because I'm sure my mom doesn't think that I still think about, like, blueberries for a sal, like, 18 years later. <laughs> she will now. She will now. <laughs> You're right. I'm going to send this to her once we're done. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think it's really nice to be able to, like, identify as a kid with big eyes of wonderment, like a character who looks like you or thinks like you or, like, a strong female character. And that's was, like, really important to me as a kid. Um so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of close by talking about, like, a book that was meaningful to us as kids. I know we've already talked about those, too. Um, I think mine's still going to be the Bob books. Those were very impactful to me as a child. <laughs> um, I know the Spiderwit Chronicles absolutely changed my life. I don't know why. Like, I still, looking back, can't figure out why those were so impactful. But, man, I just loved, like, the whole idea of there's this magic that you cannot see in the world. And, like you're going on about your day and you're operating things, but, like, there are other things and other people's that, like, you can't even understand and you can't even, like, begin to comprehend, which, I mean, again, still incredibly relevant to this day, um, just in a different means, but I think those really shaped me. Mm. I'm trying to think. I've always been a big reader, always, but I think the books that probably, like, were a catalyst to me just loving fantasy and really loving like mythology was definitely the Rick Riordan books oh oh my gosh 
I think those books came out when we were in the third grade. Yeah. Yeah, I remember talking yeah, about them. Yeah, yeah. And I read it in the third grade, and I finished it out. And so I think, like, the series like the series really finished by the time I was in eighth grade. Like, he was done with it, and the Red Pyramid series was mm-hmm. finished and stuff. And those books really, like, oh, my God, I just fell in love. I fell in love with chapter books, and I started, like, writing my own little mythological oh, action wait, stories because so I just wanted to be, like, Rick Riordan. And, like, oh, those books changed my life. No, it's really, I loved those books. I couldn't pronounce his last name for, like, forever, but I loved him. <laughs> Um, for me, I have to go back to Junie B. Jones. She was just so unapologetically herself, mm-hmm. and I think that's what I've always strived to be at, and my entire life because, like, I've always been different a little bit. <laughs> I just, you know, you just gotta gotta keep trucking and prove yourself in this world because you matter, and that's just what I've always tried to go back to. Yeah, no, I'm actually going to revise mine. The Bob books were formative, but they're not actually my favorite. I loved the Redwall books. I don't know if you guys ever read the Redwall books. No one? Really? Mm-hmm. You guys never read the Redwall books? Maybe it's Lily the homeschool thing. She did. It's Lily a knows. Thing, hey, it's sure. not. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's totally a homeschool thing. <laughs> um, but it was basically like, it was a fantasy book about like anthropomorphized small animals. So it was like mice and otters and stuff like that. Yeah, I know Sid's laughing over there. <laughs> Animorphs. I was just about to say, is that not the animorphs? <laughs> no, but it was like if small animals meet like King Arthur, meet like I don't even know. It, okay, basically they were just like defending their. It, but it was set in a human world, so they lived inside of an abbey, which is why it was like Red Wall was like the Red Walls of the Abbey. It's mm-hmm. the Adventurers, but in a book. Yes. Um, Sorry, basically. the Rescuers. The rescuers. I, I always call them the Adventurers. Sure. It's the Rescuers. Wait, can I also okay. revise mine again? Because I completely forgot about an entire book series, the Magic Treehouse <gasps> books. Oh my God! Wait a minute. No. Dude. Yes. Oh I take I take my answer back. Brick Riordan, everything, but Magic Treehouse was my stick. Treehouse. I remember the Titanic one so vividly. Like yes. being traumatized was, after I was that. Like, they all died, and I'm pretty sure I was crying. Mm. But they're like traveling everywhere, like these small children, and they like were able to like handle so much. So much. That and A to Z mysteries. A to Z yeah. mysteries. Ugh. Everything. <laughs> everything. everything. Also, those little... Okay, I know I kind of talked trash about nonfiction at the beginning of the podcast, but <laughs> when I was in elementary school, there was a series that it was like, who who was something? And I remember reading, like, who was George Washington? Who was Martin Luther King <gasps> yes, Jr.? Who like, was yes, the Beatles? I loved those books. They were, the like, short nonfiction books. Yes, and they were bobbleheads. Fantastic <gasps> oh, books. Oh, my God. I forgot all about those mm-hmm. books. I loved those. Formative reading. Sure. Truly, truly. The Beatles fell in love. <laughs> love I, I felt so adult reading about stuff like that because I was like, now I know what my parents know about. <laughs> Oh, so obviously it's clear that, like, books have meant a lot to us throughout the years. Um, so I appreciate you guys, like, sharing your time and getting to talk about two books that meant sure. a lot to us. Um, and I think that the end of the message is that what you read and, like, the messages that you hear as a child really stick with you. And so I think that those are important things to digest and also maybe reexamine the older you get. So this has been Rebound, episode one. Probably the only episode. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a great time sharing our time with you. And go read a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>